You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey guys, this is Mike Badano, and you're listening to Sarcastic Remarks. Hey guys, welcome back to Starcastic Remarks. My name is Ryan Chambers, and we thank you for joining us for this special episode uh, this morning, whenever you're listening, I guess. Um, we are joined today by Mr. Sean Shapiro, who, if you don't know him and you're a Stars fan, where have you been all of your life? He's been all over the Stars stuff. And uh, he joins us today, and he was kind enough to uh, just talk some Stars hockey with us, some business-related stuff. And, uh, yeah, so thanks for coming on, Sean. Yeah, happy to do it. It's, uh, it's going to be fun. All right, so let's just get straight into it. Um, there is a lot of stuff that I wanted to talk yeah. to you about because uh, there's so much things that I, I want to know about uh, your career and what you've done. So can you first tell us just a little bit about yourself just things that maybe stars fans might not know about you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's one thing that is, uh, it's kind of funny. It's, it's funny when we're recording this cause there's some interesting timing in the world, obviously on, 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 on how the journalism industry and my career has gone, but, uh, it's, uh, it's a space where I actually will have, I can't, give too much on some of the stuff right now, but I actually have some things coming up in the future that uh, are both, both some stars related, some not stars related, some developments career wise for me that are coming up that I'm working on finalizing things on that right now, which no one knows about right now outside of the public sector. That's all I can say about it right now. But um, as aside from that, the, uh, I mean, one of the big things for me that I don't know if anyone knows or, or, or that I, that I would love to like kind of share with people is when it comes to the kind of the, the Dallas stars and the coverage of the team and, and, and telling the stories of the team and everything like that, I've always been, I've always, and this is not pandering because I, and I swear this is not pandering, but I've always loved what the stars fan base has been. And that's something where I know that's going to sound like, like it's like it's pandering to an audience and it's not because it's something where I think it's been, it's, it's, it's been, there are certain non-traditional Southern, whatever hockey markets where you don't, where you see a small section of people and it, and it doesn't work as a business because there's not enough of that, that cross section of diehards versus people who are casually there. And for me, one of the most interesting things about covering the stars and looking at it from first as a beat writer and someone who covered the team when covered the AHL team, when they were in Texas is I've always been just so impressed with kind of the stars fan base and the grouping of how the sport has grown in Texas and how the team and that in the sport has kind of really organically grown. I mean, it's, um, what, two, three years ago, it was the 25 year anniversary. And you see, um, like, I know there's a story where it was, um, I think it was, he actually didn't play for, he was recently called up for Dallas, but didn't play, but like, uh, Maddie Blumel, 
I apologize if I mispronounced that name, but obviously called up from uh, called up from Texas to Dallas and didn't play. But I know he uh, his first experience in Texas had been at the 2017 or 2018 uh, U19 U8 one of the tournaments that they hosted in Frisco, and he told me and, and and I've heard stories about how he enjoyed his time in Texas so much that he had always thought like, Oh, I could come play here and just kind of see that there's some like organic um, hockey growth that goes beyond, Oh, someone's born in the Metroplex and is a stars fan. I kind of see that has been kind of something I've always enjoyed. Um, now that's, that's kind of a big conceptual answer. The other thing that, uh, I would just say just in, in, a, in especially just in a space like this is, I mean, I, I owe a ton to just stars fans and readers in general for people who, and I, I try to say thank you for that as much as possible too. I was someone who was covering a minor league team down in Cedar park, really a nobody in the world for lack of a better world word. <laughs> and people actually kept reading and still continue to read. So it's really kind of, that's kind of a, it's, that's a terrible answer. That's a long-winded, terrible answer, but that's an answer for you. <laughs> no, no, it's great. No, no, it's great. So, um, well, what I wanted to get to first off is just, just a couple of questions just about hockey journalism in, in specific. Um, you know, why did you want to get into this career? And, you know, yeah. how did you become a hockey journalist? Like, what, what started the whole journey yeah. for you? Yeah, I mean, it actually goes back to I've known I wanted to. I mean, at first I was, um, first I was the kid who played sports, and like everyone, I assumed that someday I would be a, a professional athlete. I was, I, I assumed that some, <laughs> I, I assume, I assumed that someday that would be, that that would be the case. Uh, and, and, I, uh, and obviously, at some point, we all we all learn the harsh lesson one way or the other that that that's not the case for most of us in the world. Um, I've wanted to it really can trace it back to um, I've enjoyed writing and telling stories about sports in general, like going back to when I was in, I don't know if I ever said it, but like I can, I've found like I, I went back and dug something up recently. Like when I wrote my season preview on the, on the sub stack I'm running right now, where I went and dug up this old middle school newspaper article I found from <laughs> 20 years ago. And like, <laughs> And I, I don't know if I ever said at the time, like, oh, I want to be a hockey writer when I grow up or a hockey journalist or whatever, but I could kind of trace a lineage of it to kind of back to that. I mean, it's something where for me, I was fortunate where there's two elements to me that really put me on the path towards this. Um, the first was the, the first one being early on in life, I just me and my dad would always have a race to like read the newspaper. Like it would be like, you just like, I was like, it would be like the sport you'd get. If I got up before my dad, I would get the paper and I would read through, I would get, if I got the paper, if I got, if I got the paper first before my dad, and we're talking like still like eight, nine years old, I could look through, I could get to the sports page first. And then um, there's that. And then um, one of the th best things that happened for me, just from a journalism career, kind of laying the groundwork for things when I was um, 14 or 15 years, uh, I think I was, I don't know if I was 15 yet, but it was my freshman year of high school, middle of my freshman year of high school, I moved from uh, New Jersey to Michigan. And the high school that I was at, it went, and, and the 
high school I moved to in Michigan had a school newspaper program that was actually part of like the school day where it was like kind of like there was like you could take a journalism class where you actually worked on the paper during the day. And so instead of it being just like an after school activity, I was able to still play because I played both high school soccer and high school hockey. So I was still allowed to like play sports after school, but then still kind of dive into this, like this writing and this interesting stuff during. And it was like, and that was like, or it was like that, that's kind of when it clicked for me, like, Oh, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to write. I want to tell stories. This is what I want to do. And that kind of set the stage for, I went to school for journalism. I went to Bowling Green, um, went, went to Bowling Green there, covered a little bit of everything. And, uh, it was kind of always hockey was always kind of the um, the sport I've always been in, most in love with to cover and I played and everything like that. And it's just kind of took off from there. Man, uh, I, I still want to ask you about high school hockey in Michigan, because <laughs> I know that's such a big thing up there. But mm-hmm. and one day I'm going to eventually make my way and go watch the state tournament or something like that up there. Mm-hmm. But eventually, eventually I'll, I'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um uh, one question, a couple of questions I wanted to ask yep. you is, uh, is there anything that you really wish that you had known before starting your career as a journalist that like you wish you had known right off the bat? Um, that's a really good question. I don't, I've had two moments in my career, one more recently, one not so recently where I've been kind of let out into a lurch and forced to figure life out and, and everything like that because the journalism field is, is, is not, is it's, it can be brutal. And I, I don't know. I, and I truthfully don't know if I would want to go back and tell 18 year old me or whatever, that, that, that was a reality. I don't know if I would want that because I, I truly think it's, you learn, I've learned so much from those experiences where you've had a job loss or a job change out of your control and you were kind of forced to figure it out. Like I've learned so much from those and it sucks. I'm not going to lie about that, but so I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would want to, I don't know if I want to go back and tell myself about that because I wouldn't want to react any differently. I wouldn't want to be for lack of a better word. You, it sucks. I would like to somehow be ready for it, but at the same time, by not being ready for it, you're able to be better for it. And like, so, um, you kind of grew as a person. Exactly. So like, I I wouldn't want to ever lose that. Um, the one thing I would tell my, like the one thing I would definitely, and I, and I've actually been good at this and this is one, but the one thing I would go back and tell myself and anyone who is, um, listening who's interested to go into this is I've always been very good at, but be even better about saving every single person's phone number. Just so like for, to give you, give you an idea of how small world everything is. Um, When I was in college at Bowling Green, um, there's another student journalist at Michigan state who was around my age. I don't remember if he's my age or is a year older, but um, he was a, student journalist, Michigan state, we crossed paths a little bit. Just, he was covering the college hockey team at Michigan state. I was covering at Bowling green. Um, fast forward a couple of, that's how I got to know him in the first place. Fast forward a couple of years later when I was in Texas, he was actually the, uh, the PR guy. He went into the PR route. He was the public relations guy for the San Antonio rampage around the same time. 
Um, fast forward five years later, he's now the second in command for PR for the Detroit Red Wings. Who, and I see him every every single every single every single day when I'm down at the Little Caesars Arena where the Red Wings skate and everything like that. Just, just like to give you an example of, for example, that's someone who I've known now. I met just as I met someone organically. Hey, we're both covering college hockey as 19, 20 year olds. And now, good God, 14 years later, we have a, (laughs) it's like, that's something where I would go back and be like, I've always been very good at making those connections and, and saving phone numbers. But there's other ones where I'm like, I just always, it's, that's the piece of advice I would give myself and to someone else of, of anyone else going into this field. And, and, and I'm sure this, and I know this applies to other, this definitely applies to other fields as well. You never know who knows whom and where it's going to go and everything like that. That's kind of the thing that I would go back and iterate that to my younger self a little bit more just to be maybe a little bit better about it through some of those earlier years. And because there's been times where you'll sometimes kick yourself and you're like, Oh, I knew that. Per- I know that like, you'll see a name. You're like, I know that person. Why did I not talk to that person more then and build on that now. So it's, it's like that, that would be the piece of advice I would go back and, and work on there. Yeah, I totally understand everything that you said. I mean, my world is very different than yours, but uh, a couple of years ago, I was in a very bad situation as a, a band teacher. And uh, now looking, looking back, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I was forced to deal with that kind of situation because, it, and especially now I'm in the best situation that I've ever been. Yeah. And uh, I was able to grow as a person. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. Totally yeah. understand what you're saying. It's like you wish you could have avoided those things. Yeah. But, you know, because you went through them, you're stronger for it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I totally agree with, with what you said there. Um, I really want to ask you about your book because yeah, you, you, you wrote it a while ago. Yeah. But th- there's still, I mean, it's chocked full of stuff that and I still continue to read it to this day. I, I literally have it on my phone. And I still read it like, <laughs> you know, every week or so I'll yeah. just pull it out and just like, hey, what am I going to read about today? Yeah. Um, and uh, the book I'm talking about, for those of you that don't know, it's called 100 Things Stars Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Um, and w- kind of what I wanted to ask you about, yeah. and I don't know if you've ever considered it, but would you consider maybe doing like a second edition, like updated version of it maybe? Yeah, I don't. I mean, this yeah. is more of a question for me than everybody yeah, else. Yeah. But I would um, love it. <laughs> yeah, I've I've kicked. I mean, it's something where like I have, uh, I've kicked around some, some book idea thoughts in the past and before. Um, I don't know as much about that book itself, uh, and that that book itself. It's through that through that publisher and everything like that. That's something where having worked with the publisher, that's kind of. I think to be honest, if that book was ever going to get for that book to get an updated for that book itself to get an updated edition, it would probably have to be a, uh, the stars would probably have to win the cup. That would probably have to be something where it would be like, that would be kind of the flashpoint to, for, from a publisher's perspective. Now I will say, and it's funny, it's not to give too much on anything and, and not, not to promise anything, but I have kicked around ideas and other book concepts on things that I would love to go into. I know, like, for example, before I wrote that book, um, I always knew I wanted to write a book. Like, that was something that was always kind of like one of those goals of, of writing goals. I was like, I wanted to write a book. 
I had no idea what the hell I wanted to write a book about, but that's kind of like, it'd be just like, it was just the egotistical thing, just to be honest, egotistical thing to think of like, oh, I could go to a bookshelf and see my name on a bookshelf. Like that was something that, that was, that I really wanted for that. And I thought after I, after I wrote one, um, the, uh, after I wrote one and definitely it's something I'm definitely interested in doing something similar to it. Um, there's ideas that I've kicked around and, and talked around. I mean, one thing that's kind of one of the unfortunate, uh, one of the, one of the unfortunate things. I don't know how many people I've told about this, but uh, one of the unfortunate things about Dallas losing in the bubble. Um, so that same, I had a, uh, I had half a book written on just the 2020 um, season that would have been with 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 a publisher where, if the stars won the uh, if the stars had won the cup, that would have been greenlit. And that would have, and there would have been a, not as long as the hundred things book, but it would have been more of a, uh, a micro section of just the 20, 2019, 20 season um, from the stars perspective. Lo and behold, they actually something where it was, it, it was relying on Dallas winning the cup because that's, and so that book never came to light, but it was something where I did a little bit of work, but probably about half the work on that. And once again, that kind of, scratched an itch where someday there'll probably be something more. I don't know what, and I'm not going to promise anything, but there are pos. let's just say there are possibilities in a long winded way. <laughs> so. the, the only thing I can think of right now is that meme that says, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, one incident I wanted to ask about you specifically, and it, it sticks out in my mind because it was, uh, such a scary incident. Um, and it was uh, number 36 in your book. It was the uh, Rich Peverly incident. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask you about your personal experience with where you were in that particular time period, what you were doing, what you were thinking, that mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Would you mind telling us just a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So I, was, I, I wasn't actually at that game in Dallas. I was still – my point in career for me at that point, I was still in um, – I was still in Austin at the time covering the Texas stars. So I've been, I've been around the Dallas stars at the time, but that, that particular game itself, I was not at. Um, I do remember one of the things that one of the things about that game that I remember that I'll always remember on it. That's kind of, uh, it's not a comical where it's not comical is the wrong word, but just like a, like one of those like little memory things that sticks out about it, where it was one of those games where, I think I want to say it was a Wednesday or I think it was like a Wednesday or Tuesday night or something. It was like midweek or something like that. And um, so I know a bunch of the, um, the Texas stars employees, actually, they, they uh, like every year, the, the Texas, the Dallas stars bring all the Texas stars employees up to Dallas for a game. Right. Just to be like, this is like, Oh, we're one big happy stars family and everything. And that was the game where that, that game was the game where they brought all these Texas stars employees on the bus up from Austin to, to see the game in Dallas. And I know there's a bunch of people, I know a bunch of people who I was close to at that time there, who you get on this whole three hour bus ride, you get up there and then obviously what happens happens. And it's just like kind of this weird, and I've kind of heard this, this the stories of just kind of the weird, like the bus ride back for someone who's like part of this organization, like you're in a three hour bus ride back from basically you go up there. You think you're going to watch a whole hockey game. You see very little of a hockey game because of this. And then you have this kind of weird three hour bus ride back where you don't know about the state of someone's life. And that's, that's the story that will always kind of stick secondary to me about some other people I know who are at the game. Um, 
for me, the other thing that will always be the most, um, the, the, one of the most telling, the two, two most telling things for me is one, how Rich Peverly has continued to live his life afterwards, where he's been this person who has put, taking his, like, it can be exhausting. Like I know from Rich's perspective, it can be exhausting to keep talking about that and, and be labeled as that's the reason people remember you and things like that. But he's done such a good job of handling that in the right way and raising awareness and, and raising money. And it's, and it's just the humanity level of it. And that's uh, it's there's, I can't explain what it was like to be in there. Cause I wasn't there at the moment, but just from everyone I've talked to and, to know some of the things that the people went through and to see how the humanity that actually came out of it at the end, that's, that's the part that is the most, the thing that I'll always remember most about that. And something that you try, you, you don't bring it up to rich every time I see him. Cause I see him quite often. I don't bring it up to him every time, but it's something you think about because like he's here, he's living his life and it's, and it's, 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 it's a miracle. And so it's, 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 it ended up being a great thing as scary as not great, not that, that it happened, but the end result ended up being great. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we understand what you're saying. We, yeah. it, there was a, even though it was a very scary incident, there was a lot of good things that came out of that. And unfortunately that meant the end of uh, Rich's yeah. career, but uh, he, he's still working for the stars. He's still doing a lot of great stuff. And, and I mean, he, he's probably living a new perspective on life. Cause I yeah. mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, uh, him looking at the, you know, the media footage afterwards and being like, that's me on there. Yeah. And I was not, I was not alive. My, my heart yeah. was, was yeah. had stopped. So, yeah. uh, but that, that was just a really scary incident. And I think that's kind of sticks out more so than other incidents. And what's, What's yeah. funny about your situation, you, you've got the Rich Peverly incident with the Stars, but you've also got the uh, Yuri Fisher incident yeah. with, the, with the Red Wings as well. So yeah, uh, kind of interesting that both of those situations happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, hey guys, it's Ryan here. It's finally time to hit the ice again. And thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you're in for the season of a lifetime. New customers can bet $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets if they win. There's a lot of matchups that are going to be coming up this season. I'm really looking forward to the Central Division. It looks like there's going to be about six teams out of the eight that I think have a pretty good shot of making the playoffs. So I'm really interested to see how the Central Division goes out there. If that wasn't enough excitement. You can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game and get $200 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, uh, I wanted to uh, keep talking just about some NHL business stuff because there have been... um, there have been some questions that I've been asked and I'm just like, I don't really know enough yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, who else better to talk about it yeah. than John, Perfect. right? Perfect. So yeah. uh, 
one of the things that came out, uh, I think maybe just a week before the season was the whole digital board ads, you know, obviously. And a lot of people were like, oh, this is ridiculous and it's going to make the game look terrible and stuff like that. And for me personally, I'll be honest, I haven't, it hasn't really bothered me that much to when I'm watching a game, I haven't every once in a while I've been like, okay, whatever, but it hasn't really been all that bad for me. And the other side that I keep looking at is that, you know, if the NHL is making money on this sort of stuff and they're making more money, shouldn't that be a good thing for NHL fans? Because it means they're getting money. It means that they're able to continue their product and make their product better. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to know your opinion on the the digital board ads and what you think overall. I, I think conceptually it's great. Like like honestly, I think it's something where it's we when you have the the proper technology and the concept is great because you bring in a. I think something a lot of people forget about is the NHL has and and where they're really going to make their money on this endeavor. 80 to 90% of NHL playoff games are played in the United States, right? So, but those games still get major viewership in Canada. And like, if you pick like a Dallas, like, like pick a, like the Dallas, like the Dallas Calgary series last, last spring, right? Like there's board ads for seven 11 and I mean, seven 11 is a bad one. They have seven 11 in Canada, but there's like, there, there, there's board ads for there, there's, there's board ads for, Dallas based advertisers that are showing up on the Canadian broadcast because they're physical and all of a sudden, and you have these broadcasters and these advertisers in Canada that want to invest more. They want to buy more advertisement and frankly, they can't. And especially when you have a Stanley cup final between two American teams, you have, you're losing all of this potential revenue from Canadian sponsors. And so that's where it's going to be. That's where they're going to start making more money on having okay all of a sudden now you have all these canadian sponsors who it doesn't matter where the stanley cup final is they will be able to have their presence and pay to have their presence in within within the digital imprint um conceptually i think it's great i I think it's something that needs to be done i think it's something that um starts to limit some other physical alterations people don't want as far as looking like things embedded in the ice and things like that so i think it's now the practice and the growing pains is the question that I think is, is the, is a completely separate thing. The question of should you do this versus were you ready to do this are two different things. And I think, um, I think we're seeing some of the growing pains on what some of some ads, some of the ads that frankly are too distracting or don't work for the, the, the format or pull away I, I think we're going to see the tweaks and changes with that going forward. And um, I, I, I think it's something where I know the NHL ran this through a test group to test the concept, but I think there needed to be a little bit more runtime and testing of application for which, how we ran certain ads when we do certain changes. And I think it'll get better as the season goes along, hopefully. And Eventually, and it'll be a little more seamless by hopefully by the end of this season, if not in, into next season. Um, but conceptually, it's it's something where it makes sense. It's something that I think needs to the league should continue to do. You continue to find these revenue things. It's not going to impact the players because 
can remember this is only digital players don't see this in the building and it doesn't impact um it doesn't impact the game itself and, and so if you can do that and you can bring this in I, I think you just have to find the ways to hammer out the issues of step one of step one and step two of this before it can really start running off in the way that people will completely ignore it in the background just like just like there's certain things where people, how many times have people been like with the, like I think of like with the helmet stickers, right? Where people are like, oh, this is off. Like who, no one's, no one sees them anymore. And eventually right. that's what the, I don't, I don't see them anymore. And that's eventually what the board, the digital board ads will be. And they just need to get to the spot where they're not drawing attention. Like they are sometimes because they don't, they haven't figured out what format works best. And it's just going to take time. It's, yeah. I mean, it's going to take a little bit of time. They'll figure it out and then it'll work. And I, I agree with, I don't even notice that the ads on the helmets anymore. And I remember that was a big hole, Baloo, yeah. uh, when that came out. So, yeah. all right, I got uh, like two or three more questions for you perfect. and then we'll wrap it up. Here. Yeah, perfect. So um, I'm really curious what you think about uh, the Sinclair Ballet Sports uh, situation because, and, and specifically as Stars fans, we, yeah. we're very frustrated with the fact that you know sometimes it's really hard to find you know some way to watch our teams and yeah and I'm, I'm just gonna say this flat out there are, it, it's driving people to find other ways to watch the team and that's yeah. you know far from what the nhl wants so it sounds like the nhl may be in talks with sinclair to buy the ballet sports regional sports networks um what do you think of this whole situation? Is is it bad for the sport? Because personally, I think it's bad for the dozen teams that have a ballet sports uh, network it, that you know that plays for their team. Yeah, so we, yeah, and I mean this is this is more than just an NHL issue. There's there's baseball and there's there's baseball and MB, there's MLB and NBA issues with this as well. Um, the whole the Sinclair situation, um, essentially, one of the biggest problems is we're at a spot where you have two different, like we're going through a spot in history right now of what are regional sports networks worth both financially and to a pay TV provider. It used to be, it used to be a big thing where it's like, well, you have to have this because you have to have live sports to, to bring customers in and, now in the in the in the age of how technology has gone between Netflix all of everything like that like it's it's everyone has so many options for consumption now that it's easier for pay tv providers to be like well we don't have to be held over a barrel to to keep this to keep this offering we can just find something else or we can or we can just realize that there's enough people who don't care and um so and then at the same time, then you have these these regional sports networks who are spending millions of dollars to to get these team rights, have to make their money back. So it's it's kind of an economic collision course, basically, of where the industry is going because TV TV rights are changing. National TV rights continue to skyrocket because people want those, but the local regional ones are still the kind of weird ones. Um, to me, the biggest issue becomes the fact that Sinclair has not been able to 
secure the amount of deal. And, and I don't know the inner workings of every single deal or anything like that, but the fact that Sinclair has struggled to um, get deals with multiple TV providers, it's very hard to find a streaming service that a, a stream, a, um, like the, the YouTube TVs, the slings, the Hulus of the world, um, all don't, all don't carry them. Um, to me, the one commonality on that becomes, I look at the Sinclair question where I don't know, I don't want to call Sinclair the bad guy, but because I don't, I don't, I don't want to call one guy, the good guy, or the bad guy, because I don't think there's a good guy on either side, but you start to look at kind of one of the common things with all of those situations is Sinclair. Um, the other thing with Sinclair is there's always been this push and wonder from their perspective of, can we go to direct to consumer? And they, they, they've launched their Bally Sports Plus direct to consumer, which I know the stars have, um, I think for season ticket holders, they did something where they gave them like a six month coupon for it or something like that to some season ticket holders, and which is fine. But at the end of the day, um, $20 a month for a streaming service that only gets you sports game that only gets you one, two or three sports teams. That's pretty hefty. And I don't, I don't know how viable that is because it's and, and not even like if someone's a stars diehard and that's the best option. Great. Do that. I, I'm not, I'm not saying anyone shouldn't do that, but I'm talking about the person who's like, okay, well I'm a kind of casual, I'm a hockey fan and I like this team and I'm in this market, but I can pay $6 a month for the ESPN or $7 a month for the ESPN plus thing for a third of the price. And I can get all these other games. I'll just watch other teams. And so I, I, I think the finding a way to connect to, to, to make sure you're continuing to connect the local fan to a team is something the NHL and teams have to figure out. And the NHL right now um, is essentially at a spot where they still financially feel beholden to Sinclair because I believe the average is about 25 to 30 million per season that NHL teams get from their RSN carrier. And so right now that big number is the roadblock from the NHL really doing anything else. Now, if Sinclair drops off, if Sinclair takes a major, makes, takes a major dump and, and all this other stuff kind of falls apart maybe that's a natural lead to it, or maybe the NHL finds these other revenue things where, okay, we can be a little more creative. Um, it's where the RSN and team relationships go in the future is it's going to be fascinating. Just to be honest, like, I don't know where it's going to go. I've talked to people on both the team and the regional sports network side who aren't really sure where it's going to go. Um, but the thing I don't think the thing I, I think stars fans don't want to happen is to what happened. I, I think stars fans and I know people always be like, Oh, why can't you just go to one streaming service that that's easy and everything like that. And, and I think that's a good want, but I think you have to use the MLS streaming deal as a cautionary tale because the MLS, so MLS is going to uh, next season. They'll be going to Apple TV plus as, as the streaming deal. But as part of that deal, the MLS teams have all um, Apple. Each game will be done by Apple TV and there'll be one set of broadcasters. And instead of having 
I'm going to be, I feel bad because I don't know if there's 28, I don't know how many MLS teams there are right now. I, I, like there's 26, somewhere between 26 and 30 MLS teams. And I feel terrible for not knowing the answer to that. But um, instead of having an individual regional broadcast for FC Dallas and Austin FC and Houston and LA and everything like that, there's just going to be a pool of 10 to 12 broadcasters. And so that would be like, if you went into the hockey model and said like, oh, well, here's one streaming service where you get every game. And they went and they went with that same model. All of a sudden, there's no longer a Josh and Razor. There's no longer Josh and Razor doing Dallas Stars games. That's maybe Josh and Razor get hired by this service because they're good. They're good, and they would be probably. They're they're a team that would probably be hired. But there's no guarantee they're doing the Stars game. It's probably going to be like, okay, well, we have 12 broadcast teams, 12 to 14 broadcast teams that we're sending around, and you lose that local broadcast and that 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 local connection that you get from it. And so that's kind of the cautionary tale of when you say like, Oh, why can't we get one streaming service? That's easy where we don't have to, where we get all the games. It's good to want that in theory, but look what's happening with MLS because you don't want to, if you're a Dallas fan, you don't want to, you don't want that to go down the path where you could potentially lose Josh and razor doing your, your games for, and I, and that's to me, that's to me one of the biggest kind of things that I think people miss on this, where there is a lot of really good things you can go to in the streaming space, but there are some things that haven't been figured out that if you jump too early on it, you don't, you might not get what you asked for. And again, so many rabbit holes. I want to jump down, but that's a good discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I had a lot more questions about the stars, but we'll, we'll I'll limit it to one. And it's one because I because you talked about it uh, specifically on your sub stack. So uh, if you want to go and check out yep. uh, his this particular situation, you go check out uh, Sean's Substack. But uh, I want to talk to you about uh, Dennis Garyanov, yep. and because you had a, a good, almost twenty-minute little podcast mm-hmm. thing about it. Oh. And uh, I mean, my brothers and I, we've talked about this at length about this player. I mean, he's got yeah. all of the skills for it. He has the speed, but it doesn't seem like he can put it together. Whether it was with bonus, which I would think that, you know, it probably hurt his development, but you would think that with a coach like Pete DeBoer that this system that Pete DeBoer has in place, it would it would increase his development. It would, you know, he would produce more effectively for lack of a better term. And I know it's just a small sample size, but through the first, uh, I think we're nine games into the season at this point of this recording, yeah. he hasn't really shown that yet. Yeah. So, I, I mean, what does Garyanov need to do? And is he a top six forward with this team next season? Because right now, if I had to answer that question, I would probably say he's not coming back. I think this is it. This is the, this is his make or break season. Yeah, I and mean, he's uh, he had not not Saturday, but the game before. Four hit the crossbar coming down. Yeah, I think it was the game before he had the he had the one where he hit the crossbar and was looking a little bit better and everything like that. Um, for I mean, Garyanov is, and I've used the analogy before. Like if you were to play a video game and you were to build the ideal player, like just like with all like the physical assets, like you would just that's what Dennis Garyanov is. But the hockey IQ and the confidence have never really matched at the at the proper timing. Um, I I think it's with with with, with Gurionov. I I've always wondered. I've always wondered if he had the hockey IQ to be that consistent twenty goal scorer in this league, or if it was going to be kind of this up and down 
space that he that he had this up and down trajectory he's been on. Um, and if you're the Dallas Stars, the space becomes he, he's he's an RFA this coming summer and everything like that. And he still has 73 or 72, whatever games, however, whatever better math can figure out to, to, to prove, to, to find a better fit and all that stuff with Dallas. But he's a restricted free agent with a qualifying offer of, I believe 2.9 million, I believe is, if is, is a $2.9 million qualifying offer. And if you're a third line player who is not getting on the power play and getting beaten out by Wyatt Johnston, who, and this is, that's, that's, that's a, that's a compliment to Wyatt Johnston at 19 and Wyatt Johnston isn't going anywhere. Wyatt Johnston, frankly, is going to be here for a long time. He's 19. <laughs> like you're getting beat it out for the second power spot by Wyatt Johnston. You're not used on the penalty kill. You're essentially, and I actually have always wondered that I have actually wondered. I actually think Denny, I think if, if a coach wanted to try something, they should try Gary on as a penalty killer because just physical tool wise, I think he could be, I, I think he could be relentless on the four check. He could be an energy guy. He's not the guy you probably have taking the draw on the penalty kill, but like, he's the guy where like, you know how many times you'll see the Dallas penalty kill where they'll have like, it'll be like Fox and Pavelski out there. And if they win the draw, they do the quick change. Like I, I could always see like Gary be that guy that comes out and just be the, the hard four checker that brings the energy on that. Um, but if you're not playing a special teams role and you're just a third line winger and you're not scoring in today's NHL, you're not worth $2.9 million. And that's what the stars will have to pay to qualify him as an RFA. And it's, it looks similar to me of what happened with, um, Gurionov could be a certain, a very similar example to what happened to Dominic Kubalik, where Dominic Kubalik had 27 goals two years ago. I think it was, um, I thought and, he, I thought he had 30. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. He, whatever the number was, but to, Kubalik, had, Kubalik has a kind of a rough year last year. Chicago decides not to qualify him because his qualifying offer would have been 4.5 million. And then he mm. signs with Detroit for like 2.5 this year, about half price. I could see Gurionov easily going down that path where Dallas is like, you know what? This is a kid we still would love to try, but we can't justify spending $2.93 million on him when we have to worry about Rope Hintz's extension. And we have to worry about what the, and we, and we have to worry about other things coming up and, and other things like that. So to me, if you had to, if you had to ask me, where does Gurionov playing next year? I don't think it's in Dallas. I just, I just don't see it. I just don't see a spot where it plays out where he plays up to that level where Jim Nill and Tom Gallardi and, and, and all the stars brass decide that he's worth nearly $3 million in a salary cap world where even where it is going up a little bit, it's still, it's not worth making life more difficult to bring Rupe Hint, bring Rupe Hints back. And it's, it's, it's just a reality of where things are going unless Gurionov all of a sudden really hits a switch. Now maybe of course it's, it's, it's hockey. So 20 games from now, all of a sudden, if he goes on a 10, he goes, he starts like a 10 game heater tomorrow. And all of a sudden everything where it's a completely different discussion, but I, I don't see that happening. <laughs> I, I just don't see that happening right now. So I see, I see Garyanov as a kind of as a piece that maybe you even have a, and I said this on, on the, on, on my podcast on, on where, he, he seems to me like he could be that 
mid mid December, early January type trade where it's you see like the stars trade him for a conditional third or or some another chain another guy who's a change of pace who needs a change of scenery or something like that. I mean, I could I could easily see that. I think a lot of the fear for Jim Nell specifically is you look at uh, Val Nachushkin, for example. Yep. That's the perfect, you know, example of you know y- you let this guy go. He's he he had one good season his rookie year where he was playing with Ben and Sagan when they were at the top of their game, and now Denis Garyanov is still getting those chances to play with you know Sagan and Marchment mm-hmm. for the most part, but uh, he just hasn't produced. I think he's one of two forwards that hasn't produced a. Uh, any points yet and yeah. you can't really call you can't really consider peterson because i mean yeah. he played what one game yeah so yeah. so it, it, it's just frustrating for him and i'm sure it's frustrating for the stars but uh you know maybe he can kick it into gear i hope he does yeah and, so. and the other thing the other thing that i think people need to realize too is and i, I know it, it can sting when you see nachushkin what happened with nachushkin and everything like that but he wasn't going to do that with the exactly and, that, and that's the thing i think people need to remember where getting bought out and signing a basement level deal with Colorado to get, give Val credit. That was the eye opening life experience he needed to get his, to get, to get every, to get his, his act together. And there's no world where he gets that in Dallas because he's staying in Dallas. He's going to continue to be Val Nachushkin first round pick Val Nachushkin continuing on this contract, on, on this contract trajectory. Like, and so, if Gurianov goes somewhere else and has success, it can be it'll be frustrating from a star's perspective, but it's not the end of the line. And it's also it's also just frankly a reality of it happens the other way around too. Like, I mean, that's that's the thing where you look at there's play every team has players who didn't work somewhere and then went and worked somewhere else. So you don't Sagan yeah. Marchment. Yeah. I mean, two examples exactly. right there. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, I don't like, I, I think with, with Gurionov, I think you have to hope that he finds something else. But I also think if you're Dallas, you have to start being smart about asset management of, is he a deadline piece? Is he a piece that maybe you try to find another guy who, and I just say this because I see this in Detroit because I'm in Detroit right now. So I see Detroit all the time. Like Philip Zadina is struggling to find a fit in Detroit. Mm-hmm. If you're Detroit and Dallas and you flip Dennis Guriano for Philip Zadina, all of a sudden that's becomes two, two guys who are looking for a fresh start. Maybe that's the type of trade you have where you have another team's needs a fresh start, former top two round pick guy for Guriano. I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely, it's something that you probably have to consider at this point. And we don't really see many of those hockey trades anymore. Like the last real yeah. hockey trade I can think of was uh, uh, Ryan Johansson and Seth Jones back in the day. That I mean, yeah. that's, that was like a true like trade for trade hockey trade. You need a defenseman, I need a forward. <laughs> Here you go, yeah. let's swap them. Yeah. So, so it's it's such a pick. It's such a pick in contract based trade league now. So it's oh yeah, very very rarely does it have the uh, the the player for player type space. But that's the reality of the world we're in now. Well, man, uh, I think that's it. Uh, we, we've hit li- li- exactly yeah. 45 minutes, actually. Yeah. How about that? Sorry. Perfect. Um, but uh, so everybody is listening to this. Uh, Sean is in a transitional period of his career. He, he's looking forward to his next uh, phase of his career. 
he he's got some things that he's probably going to announce fairly soon. We're really excited to, for him to see where he goes and what he's got planned. Uh, but Sean, uh, do you want? I'll give you the floor. Is there anything that you want to tell people right now about like what you're doing or what you what you know what you got planned or whatever? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I'll have more on all of this stuff soonish, sooner than later, actually. But um, one thing, just from for people who are listening from a star's perspective, one thing that is. Um, I'm going, I, I will be continuing to do some work with, um, D magazine. I've been doing some work for them on a freelance basis. Um, I, the, the sub stack, even with what's coming for some other things, um, I'm still maintaining this, the sub stack, I'll still be maintaining the sub stack. So anyone who wants to go, uh, subscribe to that, that's, that's been kind of a fun space to do a lot of the stuff I did at the athletic before try some other formats for things. We've been, we've been kicking around some things with that and it's, it's seven bucks a month. And I get, I get, I get people, I, I understand when people say it's $7 a month. And if anyone doesn't want to subscribe to that, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not offended at all, but if you want to give something a try for $7 a month and I'll make it worth your money. So that's, that's, that's my, that's my uh, quick elevator pitch. <laughs> your shameless plug. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, me personally, I, I'm subscribed uh, to Sean Substack, and he, he does some fantastic work. And everything he's he's written, and everything he's has his little podcast thing. He's got two little episodes he's got up going right now. They're excellent. I highly suggest you do it. So, uh, well, Sean, thanks for joining us today, and uh, really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. It was fun. Yep, and uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, once again, along with Sean, my name is Ryan. We'll catch you guys on the flip side, and we hope you guys have a good, fantastic morning, evening. See y'all later.